This is Digital Health Today, episode 12. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and today we're talking about innovation inertia in the healthcare space. More specifically, we're going to talk about how to identify the obstacles within organizations and, most importantly, how to overcome those obstacles to accelerate the implementation of new solutions. I'm really excited about this episode. My guest is Far John Marr. He is the founder and president of the innovation consultancy Inspectos, and he has spent nearly 20 years in global health. For the last decade, he has focused on the digital health sector. He advises executives, entrepreneurs, and medical professionals who are working to develop digital health tools and technologies. Fard and I both serve as mentors in the startup bootcamp Digital Health Accelerator in Berlin, Germany, and he also authored and produced the State of Digital Health Innovation Research Initiative. Fard has joined us to review some of the findings of the first wave of the 2016 State of Digital Health Innovation Report. There's a lot of content covered in this episode, and we have it all stored on the website. Just head over to digitalhealthtoday.com 12 and get the downloads, see the slide share, use the links. Basically, everything is listed in there, so don't miss out. As I record this episode, I can't help but notice that the days are getting a lot shorter. Kids are heading back to school and Christmas items are beginning to appear in stores. Yes, September is here and to many of us, that means we are about to embark on the conference season. There are some really fantastic events in store over the coming weeks and months. There's the Center for Body Computing Conference that's being held at USC in Los Angeles, California, followed by the Health 2.0 Conference, which is being held in Santa Clara, California. Looking across at some of the European events, there's a huge Medica event that's held in Dusseldorf, Germany every year. There's also a brand new conference called the Giant Health Event that's being held in London, England. And HIMSS Europe is also on the calendar with the World of Health IT meeting in Barcelona. Really, there are just too many events to cover here, but I want to keep you informed. If you haven't done it yet, check out the resource pages on the website where you can see the upcoming events. Make sure you're always kept informed by joining the digital health community. Just go to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash join and pop in your email address. You can also get updates by following me on Twitter at HealthTechDan or follow the show at DHealthToday. Now let's get back to the program and my guest, Far John Marr. Thank you very much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I, I very much appreciate it and uh, love the fact that you've got this podcast and you're, and you're forging ahead with it. Uh, and I, as a podcaster, know how difficult that can be. And, and I very much appreciate you having me on the program. Great, Fard. Well, listen, actually, you've just touched on one of the first things I want to talk about. Can you tell me a little bit more about your background and what you're doing now? And let's make sure we talk about the podcast that you have out as well. Sure. So I have been in the digital health space for more than 10 years, and I've been in healthcare for uh, more than 20 or actually nearly 20 now. And I describe myself as a digital health futurist. And basically what that means is I think very carefully about how Digital technologies will play a role in the global health industry from a, a consumer and a professional and industry context. And when I talk about the future, I'm talking about the near future, uh, you know, not things that really are going to be impacting us 10 or 20 years down the line, but what's coming up uh, three or four years down the line. And that, that tends to be the time frame that a lot of people tend to think in. And so I, I conduct uh, research and I, and I help uh, organizations with strategy. I work with startups and others uh, related to this whole idea of helping people 
understand and successfully navigate the future of health, which is increasingly becoming digital. We share a lot of similarities there and working with clients around those areas. Just before we move on, why don't you give us the name of the podcast that you've got so listeners can tune into that as well? Sure. So the, um, the podcast that I have is called the Digital Health Maven Podcast. And we talk to people, I talk to people about their life, their background. And, and the podcast is really designed to help inspire people to understand that they too can be innovators by, by understanding how these various innovators tick. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Sure. I'll make sure I include a link to that as well, because I've listened to several of yours in the past, and I was pleased to see that you have restarted that and that I can download some of those. So I'll make sure I include a link for everyone else. Bard, you touched a little bit on the research that you've done. Can you tell us about the, the reason that you decided to engage in this research and what exactly it is that you were looking into? You know, one of the things that I have learned over, the, over my time in digital health is um, people are really, really racing forward with all these amazing innovations. Uh, and, you know, I see them every day in terms of things that are happening in wearables and, and we're seeing a lot happening in virtual reality and augmented reality. And so one, one of the frustrations that people have, I think, from an innovation perspective is the fact that the, the health organizations are uh, certainly starting to catch up when it comes to digital innovation, but they're, they're really still behind the curve and, and not moving as quickly as people would like them to. And so what I wanted to do with this research was to give the, the global ecosystem a sense of what the realities are when it comes to health organizations engaging in digital health innovation. And well, everywhere I go around the world and the conversations I have with people, everyone says that we need to do more, we need to be faster, we need to be more agile, and we need to, to really accelerate the pace of change. And, and I'm pleased to talk with you today to identify some of those barriers and some of those friction points, because if we can identify it, if we can articulate where the problem lies, then we can begin to really uh, frame the solutions that will help drive us forward. So can you give us some flavor of what the research showed, and then we can dive into some of the, the specific points? Sure. So the one of the biggest uh, objectives of the study was to get a sense of how health organizations are operating from an innovation implementation perspective. And so what we found was only 5% of health organizations are operating at peak digital health innovation efficient, uh, efficiency. So what that really means is that they are not at the level at which they have the ability to scale their efforts, to diffuse their knowledge internally, um, to understand what it really takes from a budgetary perspective to do innovation uh, effectively. And so what we can learn from this is that, uh, you know, that 5% of digital health innovation leaders are really leaping ahead in terms of the, reaping the benefits of digital health. And the majority of other organizations are not um, at the level that they really need to be in order to maximize the, the use of digital innovations um, across various therapeutic areas, patient populations, regions, et cetera. And there were four key areas of friction or challenges. Can you take us through what those four areas are? Basically, the four areas are looking at human, which really is about the level of leadership support, also the level of education about the innovation. That's really important from a human perspective. The other area is economic, answering two very important questions can this innovation actually drive profits or help reduce spending? And that's a critical area 
that a lot of people are focusing on right now in digital health. The third area is, is technological. Do they have the technical ability, the true technical ability and know-how to both develop and implement these innovations? And then finally, from a policy perspective, and this is really important, do they have the internal processes and policies in place that allow them to deploy these innovations in a way that makes sense for the organization, uh, as well as understanding the outside legal and regulatory environment surrounding these innovations that enable them to either take advantage of opportunities or avoid pitfalls in their innovation activities. And so when I talk about the fact that only 5% of health organizations are operating at peak innovation efficiency, that essentially means that they're operating at a high level in each of these four very important areas that tend to shape digital health innovation. So let's draw a comparison between those that 5% of organizations that are operating at peak capacity compared to the 95% that need to, to work and, and, and improve their performance. What are some of the things that the research showed and that you recommend people do in order to emulate that 5%? So from a human perspective, it really does mean uh, having the evidence and information that helps leadership to understand that these innovation activities are actually going to have, be beneficial to the organization. And this is something that I see a lot of people who are trying to push innovation make the mistake of. What they say is innovation is great, bringing these technologies is, are, are fantastic, um, but if they can't convince leadership that there's some benefit either in the medium term or the short term for engaging in these activities, they may be able to launch a couple of pilot projects or uh, engage in some other activities. But when it comes to trying to sustain this over the longer term, leadership is just going to say, listen, we don't really have the evidence that this is going to be beneficial to us. And so we're not going to continue with this activity, which is really uh, a significant problem because if you are only able to engage in using these activities over the short term, uh, and not over a multi-year period, you're not going to have the ability to have the impact that you're going to have. And so part of that, part of being able to convince leadership that this is important is to clearly articulate um, what what the link is between the innovation activities and the overall organizational or business objectives. And if you can tie that very tightly to those business and organizational objectives, you're going to have the potential to be more successful. That's coming, looking at it from the organizational perspective. From the startup perspective, you know, startups are trying to get their innovations accepted within these organizations, et cetera, et cetera. They need to be thinking about this issue of how do I tie the innovation that I've developed to the organizational goals, the pain points, the things that they're focusing in on so that they can have the opportunity to gain more traction and to have more success with their innovations. And I think those questions very much then lead into economic discussions. And you touched on that as a second area, because a lot of the conversations I know I've had, I'm sure you've had the same, which is people have an existing service level and existing infrastructure that they need to support. Then they've got this alternative paradigm and alternative uh, technological uh, enabled uh, system. And they can't simply shift spending and shift people and resources from one or from one structure to another. They need evidence around that. So uh, what about the economic perspective? How do organizations and companies view the economic challenges around using these new technologies? So, you know, there's there's certainly room within organizations for experimentation. You know, so we're going to do something and we don't really know 
whether it's going to have a, a benefit, but we'll look at it over time and, and, and get a sense of whether it's working for us. So there's always going to be that kind of activity going on, and I think that that's really important. But where we're entering into, into now from a digital health perspective is people are asking the really tough questions about digital technologies, and they have these are the two tough questions. The first is, can this technology actually make us money in some way, or can the technology save us money in some way, either from improving workflows or reducing medical errors or all these kind of things. And so if you look at the, uh, if you look at the types of um, innovations that are really gaining a lot of traction, if you look at the investment data, you see that one of the big areas that seems to be gaining a lot of traction is data, data analytics and artificial intelligence and those types of tools. And part of the reason for that is because it's a really strong economic message that you can that you can make with with these uh, with these big data and analytics and AI um, applications. And the big message is if you can analyze the right type of data and be able to deliver the right information at the right time to physicians and patients, et cetera, you can save a lot of money in terms of reducing um, utilization and, 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 and poor health outcomes and those kind of things. And you can also make money, especially as health systems here in the United States and also around the world get to a more value-based health system where they're being paid based on outcomes and not on volume. And so that's one of the reasons that you're seeing AI and data analytics really accelerate because they're, they're able to really point to those those two questions and say, yeah, I have a sense of how these technologies can help us make money or save money. So from an economic perspective, those are the two questions that uh, organizations have to be able to answer uh, relatively convincingly. And of course, that also, you know, as you mentioned, uh, gets into the, hu- the human side in terms of getting leadership support. Uh, if you can make that economic argument, then you have the ability to do, do very well. So that that's from an economic perspective, the two questions that organizations really have to be tackling and thinking about, and and uh, that's another indicator of a high-performing organization is that they have a sense about the answers to those questions, even if it's preliminarily. Maybe as a subset of that question around, will these technologies help us make money, is will it help protect the income that we have? Because mm-hmm. as we've seen things evolve in the industry toward penalties for readmissions and uh, other things like that, then there's a, a need for organizations to be able to ensure that they're able to fully charge and be reimbursed for the services that they're delivering, that they're not going to have something happen later down the road that not only compromises the patient's experience and outcomes, but also has a financial penalty to the, the organization as a whole. So certainly related. How, how do we grow the revenue uh, and so that we can continue to uh, run a viable organization and provide services to, to users? Uh, but also how do we protect that revenue so that we can ensure that we're able to continue to plan and, and grow our organizations? And that leads into then the technology aspect. So tell us some of the things that the research showed from the technology aspect. So basically the technical and technological questions were really related to, you know, do people actually within your organization have some familiarity with the technology and also the ability to implement and execute around it? And so the reason that this this question is really important is because certainly you can bring in outside experts who can... Uh, help to deploy technologies, and that happens every day. But there has to be some level of familiarity and comfort level with these technologies within the organization so that they can be deployed in ways that uh, are going to be effective. And so this question of, of technical 
capabilities is one that, you know, a lot of folks are thinking about very, very carefully. And so, you know, if you look at uh, from the maturity perspective, if I look at the data set uh, overall, people are still asking and, and very skeptical about organizations' ability to really execute efficiently from a technological perspective. And so if you look at the organizations from the lowest level of maturity to the highest level of maturity, even those, you know, that are at a moderate stage, uh, medium stage of maturity, they, they still have issues from a technical and implementation perspective. So this is one of the areas that people tend to focus on first when they're talking about innovation. And I think that's great uh, because it is very, very important. But you also can't forget the economic and the and the human elements in order to be able to really understand how that plays into the technological uh, area. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because sometimes people really focus on the technology, and that that can be a huge liability in various aspects of it. It can be a hurdle for users to overcome. They might think that they're not going to be able to adopt that technology or utilize it effectively, or it might uh, cause some actual fear or anxiety about using that in their uh, current paradigms. Uh, but it can also very much blind the innovators who are developing the technology because they sometimes fall so in love with the technology that they really need to fall in love with the problem they're trying to solve and not the solution that they've developed for it. So that's something I often tell, especially early stage businesses, is really fall in love with your problem. If you want to help congestive heart failure patients, uh, then you really need to fall in love with that problem and really try to understand all the different things and be open that maybe the, the first or second or 10th idea that you have to, to address that problem uh, might not be the, the right one. It might not be something that's able to work across the overall spectrum. But whenever you're developing technology, Technology Fard, uh, I know you've seen this. Let's talk about it now. The policies never are written for the new innovations, right? They're they're always written about things that already exist, and then they're they're written about how we regulate them. How do people address the policy aspect of adopting new technology in their workflows and in their environments? If you look at, for example, at the pharmaceutical industry, they, they're starting to accelerate their digital health innovation activities. And one of the things that people within pharma talk about is the fact that uh, compliance issues and what, from a compliance perspective, what that means is how can these technologies be used in ways that comply with the uh, overall regulatory uh, issues or, or the regulatory regime that they're operating under. And within pharmaceutical companies, you'll often have the legal and compliance people really setting the tone and the ability for these organizations to utilize these technologies. And that can be a real bottleneck for innovation because people may be pushing these innovations forward, but if there isn't a real sense, and again, from a pharma perspective, uh, from a compliance perspective about how to manage these technologies and, and, and deploy them, you know, a lot of stuff is just not going to get done. In terms of how to overcome those issues is people really need to be thinking about this stuff as early as possible. Because the one thing to remember about policy from an organizational perspective is policy is really the lifeblood of innovation. If the policies are in place, uh, even if they're skeletal, that allow people to understand how to deploy these innovations and use them in various contexts, it's going to be make people much more comfortable with engaging in innovation so that they know that, hey, if I do this but I don't do that – um, I'm not going to get my head chopped off. And so people really do need to be thinking about that from an internal perspective. Yeah, tell us about the external perspective then on the, on policy. Yeah, so this is another thing that people really, really overlook. The regulatory and legislative uh, environment around innovation. And so I'll talk about telemedicine you know, as an example. Around the world, 
there are various types of policies from a telemedicine perspective that uh, either inhibit the use of telemedicine technologies or accelerate them. So in the developing world, in places like India and Africa and different countries in Africa, uh, there's not really much regulatory uh, issues around using telemedicine. So you're seeing telemedicine actually accelerate. But in other parts of the world, uh, in parts of the United States, uh, parts of Asia, etc., there really isn't uh, much support for the use of telemedicine technologies. And so what you had happen over the last five, six, seven years is organizations and companies coming up with these telemedicine innovations, and then they find out that they can't deploy them because there's no regulatory regime in place that allows them to do so. So uh, innovators really do have to kind of get out of their own head, out of their own organization and say, what are the, what are the regulatory barriers that I might face as I try to deploy this technology and how can we overcome them or mitigate them so that we're not stuck? Yeah, I, I've been involved in many projects myself where uh, we've really had to get the regulators involved very early because we had to co-innovate with them to uh, assess the risks of the new technology and help them along the way in terms of generating the, the frameworks that will allow the technologies to come into the market. So that's something as we're looking at the rapid uh, pace of change that I certainly encourage businesses to do, which is to engage their own regulatory folks, engage consultants, engage with the organizations themselves to make them a partner in the process. And I know that a lot of people are uh, reticent to do that because they don't want to get on the radar screen until perhaps further down the road. But that can really cut two ways because when they do finally get the regulatory organizations involved, they might find that they, they need to go back and repeat some of the things that they had done uh, earlier. So we've got four areas that, that the research focused on. The four areas are human, economic, technological, and policy areas. And policy is broken down into to external and internal policy aspects. That report is available for download, right? So we can include a link on the show notes and people can, can download the first phase of this research. It's available on SlideShare as well. And oh, brilliant. So people, yeah, so people can take a look at the report. They don't have to download it in order to, to access it. And then, of course, if they'd like a PDF copy of it, then, the, then it is available for download. Great. I'll have links to that, and I'll actually embed the, the SlideShare as well in the, into the show notes uh, from this episode. So thanks very much for uh, mentioning that. Now, I know in addition to those, those four factors, you've got a second wave of research that you're preparing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, uh, thanks for that. So basically, one of the benefits of participating in the research for participants was the fact that not only would they provide a sense of uh, how the organizations they work with or their organization are doing related to these four areas, but they also get a personalized assessment um, of their innovation activities. And so uh, basically, the study is a, an, as an assessment framework disguised as a survey. You know, so people take about 10 to 15 minutes to complete the survey. And then after that, they get um, a seven plus page report that's personalized to their uh, particular answers. And so they not only get uh, a sense of what's happening, uh, you know, from a aggregator perspective when they look at the overall results, but they get something that they can take into their organization or share with their partners to say, um, here's where I think you are or here's where I think we are. Let's address some of these issues. And so the the seven plus page report outlines their uh, answers to their questions and also gives them some advice about some of the types of things that they might want to do in order to um, improve based on their strengths and their weaknesses. And is that available that people can access now and still participate and, and get that 
that report and feedback? Yes. So wave two of the study, uh, this study is now uh, an ongoing study. Uh, so we're going to do a big push in Q4 uh, of this year to Q1 of next year. But it, the study, uh, the people can participate in the study right now and they can uh, provide their, their – uh, add their data to our data set and then also get a, a copy of that seven-plus page report that they can use to assess their own innovation activities and, and start to make some changes and improvements within their own organizations or with their partners. And can you uh, provide a link for that that we can link to in the show notes? Absolutely, yes. So there is a link uh, available to uh, Wave 2 of the study, and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have that in the show notes. Excellent. We're going to have a very robust set of notes here and lots of great information. Now, uh, that actually brings me to my next point, because you've also prepared a PDF that, users, uh, that listeners can download, which is around the three tips for overcoming innovation inertia in healthcare. So uh, you've got three tips identified here. Can you take us uh, through what the three of them are, and then we can dive into each one? Sure. So the first tip is to um, really try to identify the areas of greatest opportunity and needs or unmet needs when it comes to your innovation efforts. You know, one of the things that people can do in order to find and learn about these uh, unmet needs is to look at investment data. Um, investment data, you know, from organizations like Startup Health and Rock Health, they really do provide people with a sense of we're, uh, you know, very informed people uh, think the most important areas of greatest need need are. And so that's one of the reasons that that data can be very valuable. So that's the first tip is to kind of get oriented around what's really needed from an innovation perspective. The second is to, uh, if you're starting to engage in, in innovation, is to try to do some benchmarking and assessment work. And, and one of the ways to do that is through uh, through the through participating in the research or assessment activities that that, are, that we've been discussing. Uh, and so once you do that, you can uh, really have a clear sense of either how you should be, be progressing or what obstacles you may have. And this assessment process can be done uh, at the beginning or even in the middle of efforts. So if there are things that you might want to be identifying that may be roadblocks, you know, doing the assessment activities on an ongoing basis uh, can be really, really important. Uh, and also the third is to learn from others. You know, people within, and I know this very well, uh, are very wary about being first. They really prefer to learn from others to better understand what's working and, and what's not. So there are a lot of case studies being developed. Um, and, and this is another place where, where uh, startup or data from investment data can be really helpful because that gives you a sense of um, the areas that people are focusing in on, and then you can start to do some research to understand wh- what's working and what's not. So, so those three tips, learn from others, benchmark your innovation progress throughout your activities, and then also align your activities with the areas of greatest opportunity or unmet needs are the three tips that, that I suggest can help uh, organizations that are struggling to overcome innovation inertia. Uh, so far, that's fantastic. We've got lots of great resources that we're going to have on the show notes. We'll have the, the PDF of the three tips for overcoming innovation inertia. We'll have the link to the Wave 2 that people can uh, go online to uh, get access and assessment of their own organizations. We'll have a link to Wave 1 that shows the, the four key areas of the research that you did and the findings from each. What else do we have? We'll have the slide share embedded in the show notes. So uh, anything that I've left off? 
No, I, I think that's pretty much it. And of course, um, if people want to uh, hear more conversation about digital health, as we discussed earlier, the Digital Health Maven podcast is available to people to uh, listen to. We've got some great conversations with some fantastic people uh, that uh, I think will definitely be very inspiring to to your listeners. Excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely include a link to that as well. Uh, Fard, listen, uh, we're coming to the end of our time together. I have a few questions I'd like to ask you. Can we run through those quickly with you? Sure. Fantastic. So the first question, and we've just touched on this broadly, but what's the best advice that you give to innovators or people that want to come into the healthcare environment and innovate? The best advice that you would give them? Well, there are two two pieces of advice. The first is uh, if you don't understand the healthcare industry, uh, it's really important that you that you get knowledge about it and you start out with that baseline understanding of how healthcare works in the area of the world that you're uh, working in if you're not familiar with it. The second thing, I think, is really understand that your technology has to really be able to solve a pain point that, that somebody has. And if you can't articulate your value in the context of people's pain points, it's going to be really, really difficult to get traction for your innovation. So the first thing is really get smart. And the second one is link your innovation to people's pain points. What's your favorite quote or a saying that motivates you? As innovators, you know, and I, and I, I, I consider myself to not just be a student of innovate, innovation, but also someone who works to innovate. Uh, I've, I've got, you know, various products that I've developed and, and I know, you know, how hard it is to gain traction and, and to get people to understand why these innovations are important. And so this, 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 um, this quote from Billy Strayhorn, ever onward, ever upward is really important because, you know, when you get knocked down, you know, it's very important to realize that uh, it's not over and that if we continue to push forward, ultimately, in some way, I think we're going to see some some victory come out of it. So that's certainly something to remember in those dark days when you're really having trouble gaining traction or you're frustrated or things aren't working the way that you'd like. Ever onward, ever upward will keep you, uh, your head in the game and, and keep you moving moving ahead. What book would you recommend to our listeners and why? Still Like an Artist is a book that I recommend that innovators read. It's a very quick read, uh, and, and I, it can really help people to understand that uh, ideas are all around us, and it's okay to pick and choose things that will help you in your work, and that really requires you to be uh, very curious and, and open to uh, talking about and sharing your ideas. What technology, tool, or app do you recommend to our audience, and why? I really think that it's important for people, especially those in the innovation space, uh, to really, you know, try to stay in some level of shape, you know, and and try to and try to make sure they get out and, and get physical activity. And so, one of the things that I um, really recommend if people are interested in trying to uh, become uh, more fit is looking at wearable devices uh, that passively track information and provide you with data that you don't have to do much, uh, much, uh, much, provide much input. And so there are new um, wearables out there. You know, there's the bio ring, which I think is really interesting because it, it really tracks passively um, what people eat and, and, and uh, how much they're drinking and how much sleep they're getting and how they're exercising. And that tracks it all very, very passively through a really interesting form factor, which is a ring. Um, and there are other technologies that are available that use data analytics and machine learning to give people a sense of how they can be higher performers. And so the thing that I think that will help people from an engagement perspective, if you can just slap something on, 
and then you don't have to worry about it and then it brings you insights about how you can do better without you thinking about it that's going to be really helpful to you as a as a uh, as an innovator um and so that that's something that i'm really been looking a lot at uh in terms of technologies that utilize those types of uh tools and i and i encourage other innovators to look at those as ways to help with their personal development and and to make sure that they're staying as healthy as possible and lastly we'll be making a contribution to a charity of your choice what charity have you selected and can you tell us a bit about what they do the charity that i've selected is susan g komen for the cure uh, and, and the reason for that is, you know, I think we're making a lot of strides in the treatment of breast cancer, but it still is uh, a, a, an illness, a disease that, that, that's killing too many people around the world, especially people of color. You know, they're not getting the type of treatment that they really need. And so, uh, you know, get, you know pr- having the ability to provide education and support for people who have cancer is really important. So, so that's one that I would recommend. Well, Fard, thanks very much for taking time to speak to our listeners. I'm really excited about having all this information available on the show notes and linking people into all the various resources that you've put together. How can people continue to stay in touch with you via your website or Twitter handles? Um, if people like to learn more about me and my work, they can visit my personal website, which is www.fardjohnmar.com, and that has links to the various uh, websites that I maintain, my, my corporate website as well as uh, – uh, the Digital Health Maven Project, if they'd like to learn more about that. So that's www.fardjohnmar.com. Excellent. Great. Well, we'll have all those links on there, Fard. Thanks very much for joining us on the program, and we look forward to continuing to stay abreast of your work. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Lots of great content and information, and you can find all the links and details in the show notes at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 12. In addition to the great events I mentioned at the start of the show, we also have fantastic guests in store for this podcast over the coming weeks and months. Next up, we have KP Yalpala of Access Mobile, who's working to mobilize health delivery across countries in Africa. We will also welcome Neil Jordan, who is the global head of health for Microsoft, to talk about the innovation that Microsoft is facilitating around the world. And soon you'll also have a chance to meet Kate Ryder, the founder of Maven Clinic, which is a telemedicine platform that's focused on women's health. That's just a few of our upcoming guests. Hit subscribe on your podcast app to make sure you get all these episodes instantly as they go live. And if you'd like to be a guest, visit the contact page on the website and let me know. That's it for me for today. As always, and until next time, keep on innovating.